All right, Malachi uh, 1, uh, starting in verse 6. Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And going to uh, chapter 2, verse 9. As a son honors his father and a slave his master, a son, sorry, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. But it is you priests who show contempt for your name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God and be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled. And its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured or lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants and will smear on your faces the dung from the festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning. So my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. I gave it to them. I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was on his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned from many from sin. For the lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we come to this passage that is, is, is longer, it's a bit confusing, and Lord, it, can, it is very heavy with the, what it talks about. Uh, Father, let us feel some of the weight of it, but also, Father, would it drive us 
to see the beauty of Jesus, who is our good high priest. Father, open our eyes to hear your word. Father, would your Holy Spirit be among each and every one of us to speak to us your words of life. Father, you know the needs of everyone here, and we pray, Lord, that you would now build them up through the preaching of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Will anyone here ever receive a gift for, uh, or sorry, an invite for something that you really didn't want to go to? And so you check your calendar (laughs) and you see that you've already got something scheduled. And what is your reaction? Relief, right? Joy. I've got a good excuse now. Even if that other event was not something that you were looking forward to, suddenly you've never been more excited for a dentist appointment. (laughs) But what if you get an invite for something you really did want to go to? And so maybe you were offered tickets for the Rose Bowl or to the opening night of a movie you've been waiting a long time for. Or maybe a a close friend has made a last-minute trip into town and wants to see if you guys can get together. And so you look at your calendar and you see a dentist appointment. What do you do? Sorry, can't hang out with you even though you've traveled the country to get here. I've got to go to the dentist. No, you call up your dentist and say, something important has come up. Can we reschedule my appointment? You see, the things that you're, you know what you value by what you're willing to rearrange your schedule for. Another way to put it would be you, are, you value what you make sacrifices for. You're willing to give something up because you want this thing that is greater, whether it's an appointment or you're, uh, something that you own or something that you long for. You are willing to sacrifice that dentist appointment because it will let you get something more. What sacrifices are you making right now? What sacrifices are you making? Maybe you're working overtime. Maybe you're working a couple different jobs because you want to give your kids the ability to have a college education or a better future than you had. Maybe making sacrifices in athletics because you want to be a college athlete or get a scholarship. Maybe you're planning on an early retirement and so you're really following a very tight budget right now and saving a lot. Maybe you just love your bowling league and, and nothing will get in the way of your Monday night tournaments. The sacrifices that you're making now show what your heart really values. They show what you value more than what you say you might value. It's like anyone who's ever tried to sell something on Facebook Marketplace. Hundreds of people will contact you and say they're interested in what you're selling. Very few will actually show up and pay for it. And in a similar way, people will say, oh, I value all these things. But if you want to see what someone really values, show what they're willing to make sacrifices for to have that thing. We're in the second week of our series through the book of Malachi called Does God Still Care? If you remember last time, the the people of Israel are are living in this time when God has been silent, when it doesn't seem like he cares anymore. And so the people start asking, if, if God doesn't seem to care about us, why should we bother to care about him and what he wants? And what I want us to see this morning is this, your sacrifices show your heart. Your sacrifices show your heart. And we're going to look at this just two ways. First, what God wants, and then second, a greater priest. So first, what God wants. This passage, which there's a lot going on, so we're not going to cover everything, opens up with saying, you priests show contempt for my name. Now, 
maybe you know what contempt means. It's not a word that is used very often in the Bible. But in Genesis 25, verse 34, we are told that Esau showed contempt for his birthright. So maybe you remember that story of Jacob and his brother Esau. And Esau was the firstborn, and because of that, he was entitled to the bulk of the inheritance. That was part of his birthright. But he traded his birthright for some stew. He loved being outside, and he had been hunting all day long, and he comes home at night, and he's, he's starving, and his brother Jacob has been cooking this wonderful-smelling stew. And so Esau uh, wants some of it, but Jacob says, ah, not so fast. What are you going to give me for it? And he says, I'll trade you. If you give me your birthright, then I'll give you some stew. And Esau responds, look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me right now? And so, in order to have a full belly, he sacrifices his birthright. What you sacrifice shows what you really value. And as the text tells us, he didn't value his birthright. He despised it. He showed contempt for it. He was willing to give it up for something that he thought was greater. And our passage says, you show contempt for me. You don't value me. You don't treat me as worthy. Now, I suspect in Malachi's time, people, if you ask people, do you value God? They say, of course we value God. I mean, look how busy the temple is. Right now, all kinds of people are coming to give worship to God. I bet if you asked most people today in society, do you value God? Most people would say, yes, of course we value God. But you can tell what you actually value by what you are willing to make sacrifices for. Every one of us, probably if someone handed you, say, hey, I have a genuinely free, no strings attached, all-inclusive vacation to the Caribbean. And probably all of us would say, sweet, we will take it. But far fewer of us would actually pull out our credit card to pay for that vacation. Because if we're honest, that all-inclusive vacation in the Caribbean isn't our dream vacation. If we had to pay, we would choose something else. That shows what we really value. And that is what is going on here. God says, despite what you say, I know you don't value me because of what you're giving me. God says, try giving the things you give me to the governor and see how it goes. And the word here for governor is a, a specific word to refer to a Persian governor. This is one of the main reasons why we think this book is one of the later Old Testament books written during the time of Ezra, which is when the people lived in Jerusalem, but they were under Persian rule. They were Persian governors over different regions. And so if you were to visit the governor, you would always bring a gift for him. Say you wanted the governor to approve uh, some plans that you had to do something or get permission for something. And so part of the way of showing honor to the governor is you would bring with you a gift. And what kind of gift would you bring? Well, you'd probably want to give the best gift that you could give because you wanted to ensure that that governor would be pleased with you when it comes to making his decision. So imagine if when it comes time to go to the governor, you look out at your flock of animals and you say, man, I'm going to pick the worst looking one. And you drag in a sickly lamb that topples over as soon as it gets in front of the governor. How's that going to go over? Not very well, right? That he would be insulted. It wouldn't just be a 
lack of honor that you showed the governor, it would actually be dishonoring to him. You would be insulting him. He would not just deny your request. He would kick you out and probably levy you with some additional fine. And God's point is you're bringing me stuff that you don't even want. You're bringing me your leftovers. You're bringing me your extras. You're bringing me your bottom 10%. You probably noticed this theme in our, our passage where it, it keeps saying, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, or my name will be great. I am a great king. It, it's making this point that God is the most worthy of anything out there. Now, maybe you feel uneasy with some of that language. Why does God keep speaking of himself this way? But every one of you realizes that there are certain people that are great, that, that you want to give something to that, you know, maybe it's a sports star if you were to show up or a certain podcaster you love or a, a YouTuber that you really admire, that if you happen to meet them, you would feel some sense of their greatness. And God is simply saying that, you know, every one of us have people that we revere, people that we say are great. And by whatever category you use to say that someone is great, their success, their beauty, their compassion, their generosity, their love. God is saying he surpasses them in all of those categories. And so you can say that you value God all day long, but look at what your actions show. Who gets your nicest goat? Where is the first of your harvest going? Who or what are you willing to rearrange your schedule for? And that shows what you really value. We can't stop there, though, going to verse 10 of chapter 1. God then says, Oh, that you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. So the temple has been rebuilt now, and it's very busy. People are coming and going every single day, bringing their offerings. And from the outside, you might look at it and say, Wow, these people are so religious. But what does God say? I'd actually be happier if you shut it down. You can't gauge the health of a church by how many cars are in the parking lot or how many people come to a service. It's interesting, you know, a full parking lot would make any pastor happy. It might actually make God sad, though, because God looks at all that is going on here, and he says he calls their sacrificial fires worthless. He's not even saying they're worth a little bit. He's saying these things are worthless People today can be very involved in church. They can give their whole lives to ministry. They can do all kinds of things for God, but for all the wrong reasons, so much so that God looks at everything that they've accomplished in their life for God, and he says, actually, I wish they had never done any of that. I wish they'd even stopped coming to church. Because it is so easy for us to think of all the things we do, People look at a church that is, has a lot of people and say, wow, that church is so healthy. That person has accomplished so many things for God, but God looks at the heart and he says all that they are doing is about themselves and it's just leading them into greater self-deception about how good they are. God says, I wish they weren't here. Everything they're doing is self-serving. Even if from the outside, it looks like genuine religious worship. But, We can even go deeper in this passage. Now think about it. Why would a church or a temple, as it was the case back then, be so busy 
if it wasn't actually all about God and if he wasn't pleased with any of it. And the reason is the priests enabled it all. This is where it strikes very close to home for people like me. I I struggled with some of the weight of this passage for those of us who've given our lives to ministry. Because you you notice most of the passage is not directed to the people in general, but to the, the priests, those people who we could say are vocationally in ministry. And one of now, why is it that the priests allowed this? They were the ones that accepted the sacrifices. They were the ones that made the sacrifices. Why do they allow this to go on? One commentator, Douglas Stewart, had a really insightful point. He said, a lamb with three legs tastes just as good. The priests were entitled to eat a portion of all the sacrifices that came into the temple. This is how they were paid in one sense. It's, it's one reason why today pastors get paid through the offerings of the people in the congregation. And back then, I don't know, maybe it's the same today, back then farmers would often eat the lame and sickly amongst their flock. And it was kind of a win-win situation. You didn't want these animals to continue to breed, so you wanted to take them out of the gene pool, and then you also get a free meal out of it, right, without harming or taking out some of your best of the flock. And so it's very easy to imagine a system where the worshipers make a deal with the priests, and maybe it's not even explicit, but it just kind of evolves under time, and they have, over time, and they have this assumption that, you know what, it's, we don't really want to give our best animals, well, let's see, what's the, what's the least we can get away with? And so they bring it to the priests, and maybe say, you know, since we're bringing an animal with three legs, we'll bring two of them, and then you'll have six legs, and that's even better. And it becomes kind of this win-win situation for everybody involved, kind of a a business almost, right? We get to get rid of those animals that we don't want to be breeding, those animals that we don't want in our flock, and we get to do it while still getting the blessings from the priest, because guess what? The priest gets to eat stew with twice the amount of lamb's meat in it. And why, you can see, why this happens. It's a win-win for everybody, except for God. In this arrangement, God is the loser. Everybody gets to feel good about themselves. Wow, look at all that I'm doing and giving to God. I'm being so generous. I'm getting blessings from the priest. And the priest kind of thinks, yeah, I could get kind of used to eating a ribeye steak every night. It is shocking. This was heavy for me, as I said, It is so easy for pastors, for those in ministry, to kind of allow their congregations to be okay with half-hearted offerings, half-hearted devotion. And why? Because, well, I need to eat too. You know, you could give a gift to the church. You give even a big gift to the church and do it for all the wrong reasons. But you know, I would, we'd accept that money because that money will still pay the church budget. It will help pay my own salary. And this gets to the heart of what God wants. Why do the priests and and pastors today accept gifts with wrong intentions? Because we need to eat too. We have a mortgage too. And so it's so easy for all of us in this religious system that gets subtly set up to have a relationship with God that's more about us feeling better about ourselves than truly honoring God. I'm happy to have any person serve in the church because we need volunteers. 
But let's say you're serving for wrong reasons. You know, sometimes those who are the most active in the church can in some ways be the most lost because they think of everything they're doing must make God really happy with them. And it's not that hard to imagine a situation where God looks down at our church or any church and says, look, John, all these volunteers here, some of them are doing for good reasons, but there are some volunteers I wish you would say they can't volunteer anymore because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They aren't giving heartfelt sacrifice. They aren't showing true love for God. And that's going to be really hard for me to do, for this ministry to do, because, well, who's going to do it then? And you see how hard this is. But it shows how God is different from every one of us, in that God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need to eat. God doesn't have a mortgage to pay. You can't give anything to God that will increase his net worth. You can't tell anything to God that's going to make him feel better about himself. This is how God is utterly different from us. He has all beauty and goodness and power and sustenance in himself. He is utterly independent. He is truly off the grid. But every single one of us are dependent creatures. We depend on something outside of us just to continue to live, to eat, to breathe, to to pay our bills. We still all have self-doubts that a well-placed compliment doesn't help ease. And so that means we are all susceptible to being swayed by these things. But because God is completely independent, he is completely immune to any sort of manipulation. He is in tune with the motives for why you do what you do, and he doesn't look at how much it is. He doesn't need any volunteers. He doesn't need anyone to get, make the church budget right. It's how God can look at this temple back in that day that is busy, that have people coming and going every single day. There's all this religious worship going on, and he says, it's worthless to me. I would be happier if you just shut the doors and turned everyone away. You imagine how, we don't think of this way, right? Sometimes would God be happier by shutting the doors of a church and turning everyone away and say, come back when you really love me. Jonathan Edwards writes about this in his sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He talks about how we do so many things for God, but we don't show love in them. He says, there's many people that will make a great profession of faith and a great show of religion. And some may do many outward things that religion requires. And maybe many will think that they have done and suffered much for God and his service. But the great question is, has their heart been sincere in it? And certainly, if we examine ourselves, we'll see lots of hypocrisy. What can you give someone who has everything? Well, you can give him your love, your heart. You can show that you actually believe he is the most beautiful, worthy thing out there. See, is God someone who you're maybe willing to move a dentist appointment for, but not willing to give up everything for? 
Or is he willing that someone that you would be willing to rearrange your entire life because you love him that much? Is God your greatest desire? Is he someone worth rearranging all of your other desires for? Or do you like the people in our passage here, and probably most of, many of us today, have more of a business relationship with God? I'll do these things, and God will make me feel good. I'll do these things, the pastor will say what a great job I'm doing. And what's the least that I can give God and still have him be happy with me? Or at least get him off my back? Or maybe I'm going to do a lot for God because I just have all kinds of guilt for how I've messed up in my past life. Or I just, you know, I attack everything with lots of striving, and so I'm going to be the best Christian there can be. Do I see God as someone who, if I can get him on my side, he's more likely to do the things that I want? Whatever your greatest goal is, is your real God. And when we have that goal, whatever it might be, you will use God as just a stepping stone to try to get that thing. Every single one of us, even if you're an atheist, you are living for some sort of God, some sort of ideal. It's a thing you're making all kinds of sacrifices for. It's what you are dreaming about. It's what you spend your free time longing for and trying to figure out how you can get it. It's what you move your schedule around for. And so to put God in that top position, it's not that you're going to start doing something you haven't already been doing. You already have something in your life that is serving as God, and you are worshiping him with your heart. And it can be all kinds of things. You know, it can be material possessions. It could be a certain lifestyle, a certain amount of money. But it doesn't just need to be success or more stuff. I think for so many people, comfort and predictability are what they worship. And so you are always seeking, how do I stop the pain? How do I make life easier? Why isn't things so hard? I think for many people, having a sense of control is the God they worship. What are you shaping your life around? What makes you anxious if you don't have it? And whatever is in that position, your natural tendency is to use your relationship to God to help you get what you really want. Do you worship comfort? Well, so many of your prayers will be around stopping the pain instead of learning how to rely on God through the pain? Do you worship control? Probably much of your religious life will be wrapped around thinking of ways that you can do things for God, and that way he'll owe you when you ask him for what you want. We can go one more step. Verse 14, God describes someone who, in a moment of religious devotion, says, you know, I'm going to make a pledge and offer this good animal to God. And in that time, there were certain sacrifices that you would make uh, regularly out of the firstborn or first fruits of your, your land and your farm. But you could also show extra thanksgiving by giving a free will offering, where you would say, I don't have to give this, but as a way to show my devotion to God, I'm going to give an extra animal. And maybe you feel even some sense of conviction now because you realize, oh, I haven't been putting God first in my life. I've been giving him my leftovers. I've been using him for what I really want. And so you say, I'm going to change it. I'm going to give more to God out of, out of a heartfelt sense of, of you know, conviction and, and love for him. But then when it comes time to give, 
that person doesn't feel that same conviction. They don't feel that same passion that made them want to do this thing and give this thing for God. And so that this guy looks out at his flock and said, I know I promised to give that really good sheep uh, a month ago when I was feeling motivated by it, but I really like that sheep. Maybe I can give an average sheep. And so he brings the average sheep and offers that instead. And what does God say that person is? A cheat. Because now something has become more God in that moment than God. He says, I don't actually want to give that sheep up. I want to keep that sheep up for what I, for that, for what I really value. And it's the same for us, right? You say, no, I'm going to change this in my life. I'm going to start being more generous to God. I'm going to show love for him. But then you get your paycheck and you think, man, I've got all these bills coming up and I really want to buy this and that'll set me back. And in that moment, something else has your heart. So this brings us then to our second point, and it's, it's short, a greater priest. And hopefully as we go through this, you just get some sense of the conviction of the weightiness of this, right? Of how twisted our hearts are. And in chapter 2 of our passage, God shifts the focus now back to the priests to say, this is what the priests should do. And it brings up this covenant with Levi and, and says that the priest's job was to remind the people of what God wants. The priest's job was to call the people back to God's unchanging standards. But they've done the opposite. Chapter 2, verse 8, you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. We see that the priest's life, this is why they're held accountable, the priest's life and his own religious worship affects the religious worship of everyone in the congregation. It's one of the reasons why pastors, church leaders, are called to a higher standard because our life, my life, affects you all in ways that maybe are so subtle we don't see, and yet it will impact the entire culture of our church. But it also shows why we need a high priest who is better. Because in the end, human priests need to eat too. And it will be so easy for me, for religious leaders, for priests, to accept false sacrifices because in the end, you know what? I still need some meat from my stew, so this will do. But Jesus was a better high priest. He was one who was not swayed by bribery, by manipulation, by big gifts. He was one who was sinless and perfect. He was a priest who put God first in every area of his life. He was a priest who, after he had done everything perfectly, and he came to the end of his life, instead of receiving a crown for the reward for his perfect life, he stared down a cross. And as he sunk under the weight of judgment for our sins, he didn't say, oh, I don't deserve this. I lived a perfect life. Why is this happening to me, God? They're the ones that screwed up. Instead, when he's suffering for sins that he did not commit, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus was a priest who put his father first, even when it meant that his father's will would lead to his own death, that he would, be crumple, that he would crumple under the weight of unimaginable suffering. And why would he do this? Because he loves you so much. He loves you more than his own comfort. He loves you more than his own life. 
And when you and me and all of us are just going around thinking, what's the least I can do for God? Or, you know what, how can I put God and still have him in my life but not give everything for him? How can I give him a percentage of my affection but still pursue the things that I want to pursue? When we were all wrapped up in kind of bargaining with God, Jesus fixed his eyes on you and he said, I want you first. Again, Jonathan Edwards wrote, Such was the love of Christ for us that he did, as it were, spend himself for our sakes. His love did not rest in mere feelings or in light efforts or in small sacrifices. But though we were enemies, yet he so loved us that he had a heart to deny himself and undertake the greatest efforts and undergo the greatest suffering for our sake. He gave up his own ease and comfort and interest and honor and wealth and became poor and outcast and despised and had nowhere to lay his head. And he did it all for us. You want to see how much God loves you, a sinner, who keeps putting all these things in front of him? Just look at what God sacrificed to have you. Jesus was not just a perfect priest, but he was the perfect sacrificial lamb. The one whose life was of infinite worth. He was the beautiful one. He was the perfect one. He was the worthy one. He was the great and high king whose name will be revered from one where the sun rises to where it sets. And he stepped into the abyss to be cast out with the weight of all your sins on his back so that you could be brought home to be with him forever. And it's only through that work of the high priest Jesus that your heart can be changed to start to love the one who has loved you first. It's only through being united to him that he can start to rewire your heart to show you that he is actually the most worthy one, worth more than anything in this world and worth giving everything for. Because he didn't give you token efforts or shallow words or small sacrifices. He has given himself his entire self to you. And now he's calling you to follow him. As Jesus says in Matthew, if any one of you wants to be my disciple, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what benefit do you get if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul. Let's pray.